0: This is a crossover episode with our other podcast, Athletic Training Chat, and while this conversation is focused on the dichotomy in athletic training, I really do believe that it applies to everything really in the health, fitness, and performance world, and some of these concepts can easily be applied uh, with a crossover, so something that can take into consideration, think about, definitely a book worth checking out. If you haven't read anything by Jocko Welling, uh, that is something definitely to look at. It will challenge you to think about the different ways you want to approach leadership and ownership and how you go about that. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Of athletic training chat, we are on with Rick Cox, who is now a three time guest for second timer, first third timer. So there we go. Um, and we are going to be talking about the dichotomy in or of athletic training. Uh, and really, this kind of came about, you know, in one of those random moments. I jotted it down on a piece of paper because it just hit me i was reading just some of the back and forth on social media about some things and just remember kind of hearing you know having read extreme ownership by jocko Willink. i have not read the dichotomy of leadership which we'll let rick talk about but just how it's hard to be one or the other and there has to be some kind of mix in the middle so i actually had to go as we were setting up for this episode and truly look up the definition of dichotomy Um, And so that per um, dictionary.com, I believe was a division or contrast between two things that are or are represented as being opposed or entirely different. And that took me a minute to kind of sit with it. Um, And so I'm going to let Rick, who, if you follow Rick on social media, you know, is super fan of Jocko, as he's got his shirt on Uh, i saw it earlier yeah kind of talk about how Jocko has framed it because he puts a really interesting spin on it from the little i've seen and then we're going to just jump into some topics and kind of what we've seen um, and how we think it could potentially be addressed and or you know rectified if you will um, as we get through it so
1: rick All right. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me on a third time. Always happy to have conversations with you. Um, So, yeah, when it comes to the dichotomy of leadership from Jocko, actually for people that have read Extreme Ownership, the last chapter of Extreme Ownership is on the dichotomy of leadership. And then they had to expand that idea into a whole second book. And they had to follow up on on Extreme Ownership with this book, because essentially what they had found was people were, were, were going too far with the principles in uh, in extreme ownership. So for example, you know, we all know extreme ownership, personal accountability, this is, this is a good thing, owning everything in your world. And what they found was people were doing that so much that they actually weren't allowing those underneath them to actually have any accountability because they just tried to take it all because that was what they thought was the correct thing to do. Um, and so it's the same with with cover and move, which is you know one of the other principles in extreme ownership. If you do that too much, and again, you just don't allow others to to take responsibility and to help out other people, and you're just trying to be kind of the easy button. And I actually had a, it's funny. I had a conversation with with one of my athletes recently um, about he I he was weird. He was talking about some leadership issues we had on one of our teams. And, you know, I, I told him, you know, I, I think that's what he was doing. He was being the easy button when people weren't stepping up and doing their jobs on the team. He was just kind of the one taking it over. And so I actually gave him uh, uh, my copy of Leadership Strategy and Tactics, which is the one after Dichotomy and showed him that exact chapter on don't be the easy button. So I think that, you know, Jocko has an interesting spin on like these are, these are, these are good principles, but you you have to find that balance because you can absolutely go too far in either direction.
0: Yeah, I think that that when I looked it up, that was kind of the big takeaway in like two short sentences: is you need to be balanced and you can't default to one thing. Uh, was mm-hmm. kind of what he had said, and I know we are just talking off recording about. You know, he referenced, I'm pretty sure this must be an extreme ownership since I remember it, like ego in leadership and that like, yes, there is a certain aspect of needing an ego because that helps elevate you to that wanting that position and, you know, being able to do that. But also if your ego runs away from you as a leader, we've seen what happens with that too, where it ultimately kind of brings the whole thing down because it runs unchecked and that presents a problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I think that you know, you're having having a little bit of an ego, like that gives you that drive to constantly like push forward and get better. Um, but again, if you let it, if you let it run away from you, you know, you you end up you end up with a lot of problems by being, you know, you you, you don't have you don't have any good leaders that are super egotistical.
0: Right. Yeah, I've seen some ego get some people in trouble um, on social media <laughs> recently. I would agree. Yes. Uh, some very high-profile people who actually taught about leadership and character, <laughs> um, if yeah. anybody's been following that. Anyway, um, so kind of jumping into it, we did we jotted down a bunch of different topics and just kind of where we see, you know, there's two sides of it. We, un- I think I understand where both sides are coming from because I definitely have been on both sides of some of these. Um, and the first one we were going to kind of talk about is... You know, there's a lot of talk, especially with this AT shortage, um, if you will, which I'll be interested to see if that continues. I don't know if one year counts necessarily as a shortage, Um, but we'll see. Um, But that has brought up the compensation conversation, which is always a big topic of conversation. But at the same time, a lot of conversation about embracing the grind and having worked in a great situation in division three athletics where yes, there was busy times, but we were extremely well staffed when I was there. I, I know what it's like, but don't know what it is like for everybody, obviously, especially if the secondary school ATs where there is just one of you um, in most instances. And I still don't know how you all do it, but I respect the heck out of you for doing it. Cause I don't think I could, but to me, those two things are, so intertwined, but also so separate. And it's really hard to say both and be like hard on both of them, like hard lined on both of them.
1: Right. And I mean, obviously I think we both agree that I think that, uh, you know, salary is an issue in the profession. Um, but also, you know, we all, we, we kind of are our own worst enemy at times because we, you know, we, we, we do embrace that grind culture. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, so maybe some of the uh, more old school athletic trainers that kind of came up and, you know, you're, you have to, you have to get that, you have to work your, your butt off as a student and you to be there all the time. And then you get your internship and you're there 70, 80, 90 hours a week for, you know, $10,000 a year. And then you just, you know, I think, hopefully like the idea a lot of times is, you know, you, you, you do that work to get yourself in a position where you don't have to work that much or work as many hours because you're in a better position. And then it's sort of like ingrained in the profession that we are there all the time. You know, our athletes need us a hunt. We need, they need us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if we take a day off or God forbid, we're not there when something happens, you know, that, you know, that we, that makes us feel guilty and this is just something I mean, I'm hoping that a lot of young professionals are, are recognizing that this is not the appropriate way to do it because it, it, at a certain point, like burnout is it's so easy to get burned out. If you're, if you're just working crazy hours all the time for, especially for, you know, $30,000 a year.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that was one, again, we were kind of talking off air, which we try, tend to do a lot, which is not great when we're trying to record the episode here, but, um, it's really important, you know, when you're looking at this, I think, you know, a lot of things around value get shown out there, you know, and what defines value? Is it hours worked? Is it just being there? Is it coverage versus care and that the two different models there and what value provides is it the amount of treatments and evals and all these different things. And there's a lot of metrics that could go into it, but I think, you know, while it's important to definitely track all that and have a plan on how you want to implement that, you have to make sure that you're getting that support from above, that that's going to definitely impact your bottom line or however that goes. Because what I think I've even found in my career is you keep raising that bar and setting that standard and that just becomes a new expectation. And then unless the compensation or whatever it may be comes along with that. You're in essence just setting a new bar that they are going to expect from you, and you did it in essence for free because you didn't you didn't get a pay raise for it, um, and that was you know something that that's hard and it's hard to stomach, and that's something that I ran into. Uh, we had we didn't travel with our basketball teams at the uh, place that I worked, and team made the NCAA tournament. And we weren't going to travel with them because that is what our policy was. And it was hard to explain that to the person that was covering it, who was a GA at the time. They wanted to go. I understand why they wanted to go. And I didn't feel great about not letting them. But if that was any other job out there, you know, a factory job, and they asked you to go work a full weekend as a reward, but not going to pay you, would you have gone and done it?
1: And, no, obviously not. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right, and so that's the hard part about that is that if you keep setting that and you don't bring it along, your employer, unless they are extremely supportive, which if you find one of those, hold on to that forever, is going to reward you for that in some form or fashion to make it worth your while. Or else, I think you really are just spinning your wheels, and you're going to set yourself up for potentially even a harder fall, even though you're doing a in what, by your own standards, a higher quality of work.
1: Right. And and the thing is like, if, if they're not, you know, super supportive of you and they don't recognize exactly the value, they're going to be psyched that you just keep doing more and more work for the same amount of money. And then you know, at the end, what's going to happen is, you know, eventually you're probably going to hit that level of burnout where you hit the threshold where you can't do it anymore. And then you either have to go and say, Hey, I'm, going to now lower the standard that i've set or i'm um, or you, you can or you can pay me more which probably which a lot of times won't happen and then or you can or you can leave and then and then what happens there is you've also what you've also done is you, you, you made, you've made it even harder for the next person who comes in because they there's this expectation set now and if someone comes in if someone else comes in and says well you know i'm not i'm not doing that amount of work for the amount of money that you're paying me, I don't care what the last person did, then you know you might not last that you might, might not last or other, and they'll just they'll just keep looking until they find someone that will.
0: Yeah, hopefully it works out on the better end that they then realize that and you make it better for the next person after you, which can happen. But again, you need to have the person that's making that hire and that decision be able to see that.
1: Right, and that and that's and like you said, like if you you know, and and that's why if you have a person that recognizes your value and compensates you appropriately uh, you're probably not going to leave right, right? so and, that, and that's and that's sort of like what i think what a lot of people are finding is that like you know they it, it just could like they they worked less because of the pandemic or something like that and like or like the people didn't go into work quite as often and like things actually didn't fall apart if we weren't there for as many hours as we were there in the past. And, you know, I'm hoping that makes us realize that, you know, there, there's a, there's a certain threshold where we don't need to be in any more than that. And we can still provide great care as athletic trainers.
0: Right. Yeah. I think, you know, for ATs in it in leadership positions, you know, again, you are the head AT where you're at. I was where I was at, um, I I would have loved to pay people more money, uh, but that was not in the cards for me to be able to do that. I just, I, I didn't have control up to that level, but there are certain things you can control. You know, if your budget allows for it to reward them with something that they've wanted to go and do that you can pay for that they couldn't, or didn't want to necessarily um, because obviously anytime you can cover something that's just a little bit easier on them, you know, is is that dues, is it licenses, is it continuing ed stuff, whatever it could be. Um, But you also, I think you, one thing you can control is time, you know, to a degree and encouraging them slash forcing them to go away, you know, to take that time when they don't need to be there and give them that support, because in essence you are then making them back in theory a little bit of money by, you know, increasing their hourly rate in essence, um, even if they are salary. And I think that's super important to be able to do those things for people that are in those leadership roles that may not be able to have control over a budget to make it happen the way that you would like to.
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, I think that's sort of maybe one of the, well, that's one something I really try and do is, you know, if it's if we don't need someone, if we don't have something going on, I don't expect someone, one of someone on on our athletic training staff to just be there in case we have walk-ins. We don't we don't do that. Um, you know, I don't need we don't need the AT room open for you know 14, 16 hours a day if we don't have practices going on. Just in case some some athlete decides, hey. I'm just going to pop in and see if I can get some treatment. Um, And that's something that I haven't always been good at. You know, I've, I've, in the past, I've kind of made poor decisions and like, oh, I, 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 I'm one of those ATs I was talking about earlier where like, God forbid something happens, but really like what's, what's really going to happen. Like they don't, they don't get a massage from you one time. They don't, they don't get an ice bath when they really want one. Like, you know, it's not the end of the world. And so that's why, while I, I, we actually have gone up in salary a little bit over, over my four, my, it's my fourth year now. Um, And then we, you know, we obviously have, we went through a staffing change with the other two members of the staff and we were able to get a little bit more money for the people that we brought in. But at the same time, it's not, you know, they're not making six figures. So I try and do my absolute best to do exactly what you said and increase their hourly wage in a way by, letting them go home when they can't, when, when they don't need to be there.
0: If one of those opens up and it's making anywhere near six figures, you call me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Come, come work in Boston.
0: There you go. My wife works remote. So really it's wherever <laughs> to end up, but, um, uh, obviously we don't necessarily have that. Um, mm-hmm. kind of talking into another point, point. this is a, that we had that I think ties really nicely into this, uh, is, you know, providing a service, but not being a servant. And I think that's something, excuse me, um, that is so important to remember. And we were athletic training services where I work. That's what they had initially kind of tabbed it as when there was a change when my position got created there. Um, And so I, you know, looked at that. that. That's not athletic training servants. And I think that's important. And I've seen a few of those things come around. You know, there was some stuff coming out of the pros on how it's almost like concierge medicine, uh, which I can understand to a point, you know, in that you're, that is a huge business, you know, on so many levels and hopefully the compensation around that business is also being fair. But then, that kind of trickle down and I understand what people are saying about wanting to provide that high level of care I I get that but at the same time contextually I don't know that I get it (laughs) in in a lot of instances like it's just to your point like how many bad things truly happen or if somebody's dealing with the cold that you, do they need to text you at nine o'clock at night to ask about it or talk about getting with the t- in with the physician the next day or whatever the scenario may be and understanding like any other service industry, like when you call the cable guy, what do they tell you? They're going to be there between 12 and four and you have you, to adjust if, it you, if, you
1: want, if you want them to come out in off hours, that's costing you a pretty penny.
0: Right. And so you're adjusting to them. And I don't think it is a bad thing that we adjust for the patients that we care for but it has to have some boundary to it or else mm. it just never ends. Cause what happens as we've talked about, you know, if your life circumstances change, you know, when I took my job, I was 27 and single yeah, and have a lot going on other than a dog. And he slept 20 of the 24 hours a day. Um, now, if I would have been doing it, I'm married with a 15 month old, like,
1: I don't yeah. have that ability anymore. So, right. And, you know, talking about that, that concierge medicine, you know, you, you say, like, hopefully there's a good compensation, I think, for or like you look at the NFL, from what I've seen, and maybe I'm off base, if you're the director of sports medicine, you get compensated very well, if you are a first year assistant, who still has to provide that concierge service, I don't think you're getting concierge medicine money from that. Sure, And I also look at it as like, I I also want to provide a high level of care. If I don't answer the phone with my, if my athlete tries to call me at 2am because, you know, whatever, they, they were, got drunk and fell and have to go to the ER. Like, am I providing a lower level of care because I don't want to answer the phone at 2am? I don't think I am.
0: That's such a hard thing to let go. because You said, you know, again, this athletic trainer guilt in quotes, but. There's a lot of good medical practitioners out there in our field and otherwise that it isn't concierge and yet people come running to them to get stuff done. And I, I think that's it's just a mindset of you provide that service, and it's okay for you to set your hours that you are providing that service. And I think being you know flexible and you know, working with co you know, schedules absolutely. Um, but man, do you have to be able to set it because I think that shows more of your value that, you know, this, your time is valuable. Mm -hmm. You're really good at your job. It is. And it should be
1: right. And that's why I, like, whenever I see like someone like, you know, they, they, you know, they put on social media about how they, they did set those boundaries. And like, I let my coaches know this is when I'm here and they actually stick to that. I'm, I'm super psyched for them.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You know, cause the other side of that dichotomy is you know, we've got a lot of ATs who, because they have that guilt or just because that it's what's expected of them, they, you know, they have to kind of bend over backwards for their coaches and for their athletes. And I think the problem is we even see people who are in the leadership positions who put out that they, they, again, they love the grind and like, it's football season. So it's football preseason. And that, and this is what we love to do. And it's like, do we really love to work a hundred hours a week? Because I don't, especially, especially like I'm not, I'm not getting overtime for that.
0: And some people do, and I don't hold that against them. And that's great for you. Mm-hmm. I just, I personally believe I can do a really high level of care and not be there after football meetings to hand out ice to people,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I had a coach that was interviewing one time ask. And it's just like, no, I'm not staying <coughs> four hours later than I need to, to wait for you guys to get done with meetings or come back. You know, for me, it was only a 15 minute drive and pretty much any time of the day. Um, but I'm not coming back to hand out ice bags like first off it's not going to help them at all if you really need them i'll leave them sitting out for you but like that's not making them better it would be so much better for them to go get that sleep and me see them the next day and spend more time with them um, and really hammering that home in that
1: um i think is important yeah i mean you know for the, the people that do love that like 100 hours a week i think part of the problem there is because like, as if the young professionals say they love it, it's because they see um, some of the older ATs do that. And like, they, they, they see how I'm like because be honest, like an athlete, if you're there for them, anytime they, they, they need something, they're going to be appreciative of that. And I always, and we, you know, I like it when my athletes are appreciative and I try to be there for them. But you know what I've learned is they don't, they don't appreciate me any less if I say no to them. When they recognize that it's inconvenient, you know, they, they know like, Hey, like like they'll come in and be like, Hey, I'm sorry. Can I get this? And I'm like, no, I'm so I'm sorry, but it's, I don't have time for that. Or I'm about to leave. And most of them are just like, all right, I get it. And I'm like, I'll see you tomorrow. And I don't think that just because I didn't, you know, change my plans to give them whatever they wanted. They don't, they don't appreciate me any less.
0: Right. I think that's really important on that relationship that you've built because you've demonstrated that you are going to do a good job for them. Just not mm-hmm. at any point in the day. Yeah. Moving on to the next one. Um, get, this one was kind of framed as, you know, wanting to be autonomous, but also wanting the perks of being part of the coaching staff. And then we were talking again off air, you know, like this kind of with first four mentality, um, And I was having this conversation a little bit on another episode that'll be coming out around this one, you know, to me, and if you looked at at least the organizational chart that I worked in, it wasn't our AD kind of a second layer coaches and then me and my staff, it was AD kind of coaches at some point I kind of technically jumped up over them to a somewhat of a degree just with a shift in title but it was on the same level and that was really kind of an eye-opening thing for me Is like I don't work for the coaches like yes to some sense sure but I work with the coaches and to me that is such an important mindset um with that and kind of that being autonomy like yeah you run your department. And again, we were talking about it earlier with, you know, especially secondary ATs, but even with you, how many sports do you guys have? 19. So you had 19 head coaches and there's three of you.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How is there ever any ability for this, like the thought process of that the same level of time and commitment can be put in by three people to match 19. You know, that's even worse in, in some places. And definitely I got to imagine in a lot of the high school settings like that you're one person trying to somehow cover 20 plus sports and make it seem like you are fully as committed as everybody on that sport. Mm -hmm. And that's quite frankly, impossible. (laughs) Um, And so I think, Having the ability to separate yourself that, you know, if the coach has a question, you don't have to go to them. They can come to you. Like there should be that mutual respect. And I think that's hard because you get these coaches that have been doing this forever, how many ATs have necessarily been in their role or their place late in their career where that relationship could almost shift. And that was one. Uh, it was a D three local ish D three school that the head at had been there for so long and seen turnover of almost every sport. And so he would ultimately go into new coach's office, introduce himself, and basically say, "You know, I'm so and so." And since I'm probably going to be here longer than you are, here's how <laughs> we do things, right? And just what a powerful mentality to have. And you don't have to be a jerk about it, but like what a powerful mentality to have that you aren't bending and molding to them because you are also a professional in the medical field, providing this service and being, being good with that. Like,
1: right. And, you know, and I think as, as ATs, we definitely want the autonomy and we want, we want you know, we want we, we when we make a medical decision, you know that's kind of that's kind of the decision that gets made. And I, I'm not opposed to working with coaches when it when it makes sense. Not at all. Um, you know, if like you know, if I have if I have a guy that I'm or or, or a female athlete that I'm planning on is ho- I'm holding out for something, and I go to the coach and they say, well, what if we do this? And if it makes sense, then I'm absolutely willing to change my mind. But you know, at the end of the day, if I say no, that this this is the decision that gets made. You know, I don't, that, that's the decision that gets made. And, and I think as ATs, we, we obviously, we all want that autonomy. We don't want to be um, beholden to our, to any of our coaches. Well, I think, you know, at the same time, like I'll see on social media, people complain that, oh, like all the coaches got this piece of gear and they didn't even, my coach didn't even think about me. And like, I, I appreciate getting, I love getting gear, like just as much as anybody else. But you're not part of their staff. So they don't have to spend money on you. And while it's nice, when they think about you, and they, they do spend some of their budget and give you a t shirt or jacket or whatever, and that happens to me, you can't really get mad when they don't because you're not part of the football staff, you are not part of the soccer staff, you're part of the athletic training staff. So and so while you, can, you can't sit there and be like, well, I want to be my own staff and then get mad when you don't get the perks of being a member of another staff.
0: Yeah. I thought about that one time too. I was like, I've never handed out like an AT polo to a coach ever. Never. Now mainly because when their sport is buying it for an AT, it's buying a extra polo. If we were going to go and do it, we're buying <laughs> 20. Uh, so the missing right. difference is slightly skewed there but I've kind of thought about that too and, you know you, you got to look at it you're, you're your own department you're your own team um, that is providing this service and yeah you know, think just that was such a light bulb moment for me uh, that I would call coaches out on it when they would say oh my AT mm, they're not your AT they work right. with you that you don't own you don't own them because they do not work for you So when they would call and say, you know, I need you to come to my office to talk, I would look at the AT and be like, they can also come over here. And Mm -hmm. you can, like, you don't always have to chase them down if they need something.
1: Right. And I've I've had that same situation where I've had, you know, coaches in the past, like, you know, when interviewing or whatever, like they'll say, like, oh, I I look at the A.T. as a member of my staff. Mm -hmm. Well, I I appreciate the sentiment because I think it comes from, I think, a lot, most of the time it comes from a place of they're appreciative to have us. Right. And, but, you know, you have to kind of check them and say, okay, well, that's nice that you think that, but I just want you to know that we are, we are not part of your staff. And, you know, again, not trying to be a jerk and maybe they'll take offense to it, even though they, cause they didn't mean anything by it. But I do think you have to set that boundary again and say, look, like I work with you. I work with your student athletes, but right. I don't work for you.
0: Yeah, so I think all three of those tie in so importantly together. And it's just two very broad things. And if you, if you go one way or the other, you, you really, it's hard to find a way to have both. Um, you you got to kind of, you know, pick the one but then find the balance of when those things occur as we is kind of the whole point of this discussion. So,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, the last one that we are kind of combining into two, you know, th- there is a lot um, a desire for change to happen in the profession. There's It'll be really interesting how everything kind of unfolds over the next few years. I'm excited for some of the things I've been hearing. Um, we'll have another episode coming out um, talking about the career advancement committee um, that has been in put, put into the NATA, which the sounds of it is a phenomenal thing. Um, but some of the ones calling for change and a lot of people are also are maybe supporting the ones that maybe don't want to see the change or at least, you know, not saying anything against them. And it's, this isn't meant to be like a fire starting kind of conversation. Hmm. Uh, But again, you got to find where you, where you land on these things because it's really hard to have
1: both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, you like in, in, in leadership within, not in, whether it's an AT or somewhere else, like, you know, people tend to uh, bring up others that are like them and have similar mindsets. Um, and so, you know, one thing we obviously, we talk about is we want to increase diversity within the profession. Um, and yet, you know, sometimes we do things that wh- the way I look at it is diametrically opposed to doing that. Like I like personally, and I've heard other people talk about this on other podcasts, like the, the change to the masters only, I think, is, is only going to be a detriment to that increase in diversity because, you know, oftentimes, you know, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds who may be able to diversify the profession you know, they can't go to grad school. Right. And it's so so you're essentially placing them. And I, I understand, like, wanting a master's degree, um, you know, wanting higher education for the members of our profession. But, you know, I think that that can cause more headaches that we didn't necessarily maybe that we didn't necessarily consider when that decision was made. All right. I totally
0: agree with you on that one um I, I, it's such a huge and almost like grand experiment and i remember having these conversations about it that we were oversaturated with ATs, and that this would be a potentially a way to kind of bring it back and i don't know if it just happened that quickly or if this is like we kind of talked about earlier if this is just a little blip but yes i i can see how that could potentially be a really big detriment to the overall growth of diversity within the profession.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I remember I was listening to a different podcast that they had on the director of a, of a, uh, a pro of a athletic training education program. And he was, he was opposed to it himself being in the position where, you know, he's oversees that department at a college and he had, he had a lot of good points. And, you know, that was one of his main ones was like, it's, he doesn't he doesn't see it providing the benefits that people think it's going to provide. And it's only going to uh, provide these barriers for people who otherwise would like to go get a degree and become an athletic trainer.
0: Sure. Um, anything else on kind of that topic about advancement, but maybe unwilling to. Step in where stepping in may be needed.
1: I mean, I just, I mean, I think we do have some some amazing advocates out there. Um, you know, and I've I have some conversations with them with them regularly, and I think they're working really hard uh, to try and, um, you know, just just bring light to issues and, and and point out you know inconsistencies in the things that that we do as a profession or the things that we, that we believe. And they're oftentimes met with resistance because, you know, people want to maintain that status quo because it might, it might benefit them or it might be, it might be hard for them to discuss um, whether it's, you know, racial injustice or, you know, LGBTQ issues um, and bringing that up and making that a priority. I think, I think a lot of times people are it's it's challenging to discuss, and they think that oftentimes we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, we we should we shouldn't open our mouths and speak to those things.
0: Yep, it's hard to take the heat when you're the leader, and it's all coming at you. But it's also hard in that position to be able to sit back. Because if they say something and you reflect on it and maybe it surprises you that maybe you were the focus of what that may have been, even if it wasn't directly called out at you, that, that can be a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, if you can allow yourself to open up to let that sink in to change you a little bit or at least make you open to it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's some pretty powerful stuff.
1: Right. Because, I mean, I think I think that's that's all it has to be is like you being willing to reflect. And, you know, if you if you've said or done something or acted in a certain way in the past and someone calls you out and they're correct, then you need to sort of sort of course correct. And I think that just makes you better overall.
0: Agreed. Well, anything else on the dichotomy of the AT that you want to cover that we didn't really touch on? Um,
1: I think those are the ma- the major ones, um, but I think I think I think it's a good kind of starting point, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that there's other other dichotomies that we or others could could come up with but I think it's it's good to actually have a discussion about it
0: yeah I I totally agree I was just kind of reading back on my general idea for this and just had a you know a couple that in our document just you know Mm -hmm. you're having to try and balance two things and you have to own up to that in order to make it happen and that you know that ownership bit which I obviously is a big part of the Jocko but you have to be willing to check yourself and understand that, you know, going back to the first one, like if you want to get paid more, but you can't just necessarily do that by doing more, like that's a harsh reality. But if it's something you really, truly want to change, it might be a reality you have to face. And that's not a bad thing and can actually be really freeing. Um, And then just, you know, kind of keeping. the, thing like it's really hard to rant and rave about one thing or make a very like strong point and then literally go and do the opposite and I've run across that in my career I know I've done that in my career and I try very hard not to do that now Um, it's been eye-opening for me and just looking at we get a very unique group of patients in our sports med clinic we you know from high school and younger athletes too. We do a lot of ultrasound guided injections for pain um, across, I mean, I think the oldest one was upper nineties that one of our physicians had done, but you just get a really interesting group. And the more you dig in, or if you dig in so far into their medical record, you get this picture and you haven't even met them. You have no idea actually why they're there, um, especially if you've never seen them. And I've already caught myself Backing up, you have no idea why they're actually here. Go talk to them, see what fits in the story, then maybe start putting the pieces together. And just being able to check that with all the things you do, and I think that's a hard part about Twitter is, you know, you're making an argument in 280 characters or less. Um, check on it for a second, and then and then go and see if you can figure out the way to balance that out.
1: Right. And I mean, I you know coming, when it comes to, you know, mindsets or, or treatment options or modalities or whatever, you know, people get, can become so diametrically opposed that they can't even, they, 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 you shouldn't, I, I'm never, never a huge fan of absolutes. I know some other people are like, you will never do this or you will always do this. And just being able to, to, again, step back and see the big picture and say, hey, this thing that people say never works, I I bet you I can find a scenario in which it would. Sure. And, you know, and just not, not being so in one camp or the other.
0: Couldn't agree more. Well, I think we'll wrap that up then on the dichotomy in AT. Um, I need to go personally read the book after I – get through a bunch of other ones that I've got in the hopper. Um, But we will link to it. So in case you're interested in it, just check out the episode page. It will be there. Um, And as always, Rick, great talking to you.
1: Thanks so much, Joe. Always a pleasure.
0: And hopefully we got some things coming in the future (laughs) as we brainstorm and have
1: more conversations. So,